but yeah. Yellow Toad does something amazing. You can tell who the Yellow Toad is because she's on Pink Yoshi. There's a microphone over here if you want one. I'm going to play One World. I'm going to introduce you in case you haven't heard the last episode. World 1. The world of the practice rounds. We call World 1 the world of the practice rounds. <laughs> the fireworks mean you get a toad house. Whatever kind of toad house it shows, that's the one that you get. But it only appears on the arrow. Ah. You see, when you first have a hint movie... The red one, you see a pretty... The red when you first have a hint movie, the you work your best... When you first have your hint movie, you work hard to get another one by getting star coins and levels. I've got all the star coins in most of the levels. Um, Dad, you might want to look at, take a look at these moves. That we never did. Yeah, you've been practicing World 1-1, haven't you? It's fun and easy. Well, you've almost got, yeah, you've almost got the same moves now yeah, as the hint movie down, so that's good. Everybody must have. Hint movies don't lie, you know. And welcome to World 1. The, one of, the world of the practice rounds. Oh, we can a lot. Know why? Because those are the moves that Luigi does. Sorry. Sorry about that. Didn't have time to go back. Oh, that's all right. I did that in 50 I seconds. I've seen you get like six one-ups already off of that flag, so... Well, welcome back to another episode of Spam, Spam, Spam Humbug. This is episode 67. And as always, this episode is brought to you by our Patreon backers. So thank you to everyone who supports the podcast and the Ultima Codex by that means. And as always, I an especially hearty thank you to our co-producers, Seth, Johnny, Dominic, Chris, Violation, Adam, Avatars Radio, Eric, Thor1, Pascal, Neil, Helgruff, and Aaron. Now, who all do we have on tonight? You actually got a few of us tonight. Um, we are joined, first and foremost, by Gradia Dragon. Hey, good evening, everyone. And actually, Gradia uh, gave us the topic for tonight. We'll get into that shortly. We're also joined tonight by Boolean Dragon. What's up, everybody? Hope you're doing well. <laughs> so, we also have a newcomer tonight. We welcome Jelly Bear Dragon to the podcast. Hello. Hello, and thank you for the greetings. All right, so just before we dive in, let me have a quick look and see if we have any new patronage or ultimate dragon. Well, you know what? We do have a bunch of dragons to say hello to. So on Facebook, we welcome Belly, Hunter, Justin, Sebastian, Mitch, Hanu, David, Bernard, Ben, and Michael. And on Google+, Plus, we welcome Henry, welcome and splut to all. I don't know if you all noticed Cran spamming the recording. I think no, it wasn't recording schedule channel. It was the screenshots channel earlier uh, today or yesterday um, with stories of you know Cinnabons and splutting and some of the earliest bits of Dragonly history. She's evidently been doing a ton of research. So neat stuff, neat stuff for sure. But that is not the topic tonight. The topic tonight 
is actually something that uh, Gradia, as I mentioned, came up with. And I got to admit, I kind of had to smile because, gosh, like I did all kinds of dumb things in games as a kid. So, and that's really what I want to talk about is, you know, the, uh, well, I like how you put this, Gradia. How about talking about innocent stuff we tried to do in games when we were kids? And I just can't help but think to put innocent in all manner of quotation marks because, well, golem dragon, <laughs> like murder everything. So why don't you elaborate on that a little bit more? Uh, um, good idea. Just kind of what your thinking was and tossing that idea out there. Yeah, I was thinking like, for example, when I played Ultima 6 and I saw the wild animals and stuff and they started attacking me out of the blue and I didn't know what to do. So I dropped food and tried to run away, <laughs> but they didn't eat the food. They kept chasing me. <laughs> <laughs> Alas, an oversight, an oversight for sure in the coding. Well, you know, sometimes trying to give some gifts or stuff to the NPCs or um, that kind of thing, but they, it was, it wasn't possible. Not always, no. Um, I mean, unless they were supposed to be able to accept it, right? But uh, I got I got a couple in that vein. Um, although I can't take credit for all of these. Like I remember greatly, and I may have shared this one on the uh, on the podcast before. But so you got to rewind to like I'm maybe ten, and my sisters are comparatively younger than me. Um, and like when we were growing up. There was a family just across the alley, um, you know, so my best friend, Tiago, and his sister, Tassiana. And um, Tiago's about my age, Tassiana was a couple of years older than him. But they'd, you know, we'd go over and play at their house, they'd come over and play at our house. And, I mean, we'd do lots of different stuff, but occasionally play would basically mean whoever's house we were at, we'd all be gathered around the one computer in the basement, theirs or ours. And, you know, just kind of all chiming in as someone played whatever game, whether it was like Might and Magic or Carmen Sandiego or... So we had um, Heroes Quest, what eventually became known as Quest for Glory 1. So you want to be a hero. And this was the... Um, this was not the remastered version. This was the original version. So, of course, you know, really pixely graphics and typed input. Uh, everything you wanted to do, you had to type a command. And of course, this was a Sierra game. So A, um, very cheeky humor, but B, they thought of so many things for like so many dumb things that they just anticipated that players would type in. And I remember Tassiana trying to spend, gosh, she probably spent about 20 minutes trying to convince her fighter, Ozzy, um, that he really wanted to go pee. And so, so she just keep typing in, go pee, go pee. And of course the game, having anticipated this, or the programmers having anticipated this, put all kinds of sassy responses. It's like, I'm sorry, what was that? You want me to do what? <laughs> Ooh, that's gross. That kind of stuff. Um, which was, of course, greatly hilarious to all of us gathered around. We had a great laugh at that. Actually, those games, just the Sierra games in general, are really, really good for just, if you did want to try and do dumb kid stuff those were the perfect games for it because they almost always anticipated the dumb kid stuff that you would attempt and had and i mean sometimes it would actually you know 
trigger a little thing in game um an action for your character to perform usually it would just like say something witty back at you but yeah the sierra games they had like a really good sense of humor um a lot of games these days are like super ultra serious really dark but you know just it's all, all those old adventure games had a lot of neat neat stuff in there and they they came from a good place you know they, they weren't they weren't so hardcore game of thrones type like a lot of the newer ones yeah well there was a real sense that they just weren't taking themselves seriously you know and i mean i don't mind handling serious subject matter and handling you know deep impactful narratives in games but it is still nice to have that cheekiness um come out in the dialogue in the narrative in you know just the little happenstance sort of things that happen in the game yeah outside of some indie games i can't really think of anything recently that's really been like that it's probably something out there Mm. i uh i do have to admire actually speaking of kid things i got to admire one thing my my own daughters try and do in um in commander keen (laughs) they uh they purposefully go out of their way to try and avoid using Keen's blaster on any of the enemies you encounter, including the Vorticon commander at the end of Commander Keen 1. They, and I mean, like, I remember, you know, I mean, defeating the Vorticon commander at the end of Commander Keen 1 is fairly easy once you realize that some of the uh, the ice blocks leading up to him um, can be walked behind, right? Because there's kind of this little secret passage that goes up over him, and then you can shoot a chain and drop a big stone block on his head. And that's, you know, that's how you're supposed to defeat him. There's actually clues given in the game to the effect of, you know, you can't defeat the Vorticon commander directly. The idea being that, you know, you should hopefully be thinking, oh, okay, well, I got to look for some kind of weird workaround here. But my daughters take a more practical approach. They just run right at him and then at the last minute flip on the pogo stick and go sailing clear over him. And uh, now this actually introduces an interesting risk. Ella actually discovered a an interesting risk to this method the first time she did it because story of Commander Keen 1 is, of course, you know, you build your bean with bacon mega rocket and you fly to Mars and you crash land on Mars and four key pieces of the mega rocket get stolen by the Martians or I guess by the Vorticons ultimately and distributed across various sites on the surface of Mars. So of course, the last one that you need and the last component is in the Vorticon commander's castle and it's right by the exit door. So the way this works is if you go the usual route and you go above the Vorticon commander and you shoot the chain and bring the big stone down on his head, well then you can just hop up, pick up the component and walk out the exit door. But if you do it Ella's way and you pogo stick over him, you can still get up to where the component and the exit door is, but now they're in the reverse order. Now you're facing the exit door and the component that you need is on the other side of the exit door. So the first time she tried it this way, she walked forward and walked out the exit door because as soon as Keen overlaps that particular tile, it just triggers the exit routine. So she left the level having not retrieved the component. And of course, at that point, the game was unpassable because once the level's done, you can't go back into it. So after some trial and error, she discovered that if she activates the pogo stick, Commander Keen won't go into the door. 
So she pogos over the Vorticon commander, hops up by the door, activates the pogo stick again, grabs the component, turns the pogo stick off, and walks out the door. It's, uh... Dude, how old is she? Because that's that's pretty deep. <laughs> yeah, she's, uh, she's eight now, so... Wow, that's, that's impressive. You know, they... they at the time Commander Keen was released, they drew a lot of parallels between that and Super Mario Brothers. It was a bit revolutionary because DOS games at the time, they didn't have smooth scrolling or anything anything like that. And people were like, oh, wow, you know, this is about as good as an NES game as far as how it plays. And uh, I remember in Super Mario Brothers, you know, when you tried to defeat, you know, Bowser or whatever, you know, you couldn't kill him. You'd have to jump over his head and grab the axe or whatever it was on the other side and it would open right. the bridge. So and sort of kill them indirectly. So it's interesting that it seems to parallel Super Mario Brothers in that respect as well, to a degree. Yeah, well, I think they took a lot of inspiration from that, for sure. So, but, uh, yeah, that was <laughs> interesting to, to see her solution to that one. And actually, I got to think, too, in new Super Mario Brothers for the Wii, um, and I may wind up using some of this as intro audio, I haven't entirely decided, but what she's lately taken to doing is watching the because you can unlock like hint movies there's a there's a menu in the game where like basically as you go you collect these rather oversized coins and you can spend those to unlock hint movies uh from the game's menu so what she's lately taken to doing is studying the hint movies and then trying to figure out how to emulate them like trying to figure out exactly what she needs to do to perform whatever tricks they happen to be showing off in the hint movies. Um, so far, she's only got World 1 1 done. But then, equally, I watch her play World 1 1 now, and it's just like, or level 1 1, and it's just like, oh my gosh, I could never play Mario that good. Um, so it's kind of funny to, you know, another, another thing is just kids gonna kid, I guess, you know? Yeah, when you're that young, if you play it a lot, uh, your skill level in in a game like Super Mario Brothers, just the way it's designed with the physics and the controls and such and the the twitchiness of it, um, it's possible to get just inhumanly good at it. It was a brief period in my life where I actually <laughs> actually played the first Super Mario Brothers so much that I was like that, where like every time was precise, where you would jump just before, like a frame before Mario's feet hit the ground, you would jump. So you basically bounce off of the ground and it would offer an amazing level of control. So if you got the time when you're a kid like that, yeah, you could just rock it like insanely well. Yep. And I mean, she's definitely doing that at least with this one level. Like it's just amazingly precise. The jumps always land her like either just on or like just past one of the monsters, you know, like just missing them. Sometimes you swear the sprites overlap, but they don't quite, um, even just little things like, you know, the last jump at the end and flicking the Wii remote to make Mario do a twirl in midair so that he sustains the level that he's at a second longer and hits the top of the flag and gets the one up. Just, ah, very impressive to watch. Reminds me of when I was a, when I was a kid and I played Mario games on the NES. My brothers and my cousins always complained that... Uh, I was pretty bad at the easy parts, but I would just be insanely good at the hard stuff like jumping <laughs> and platform hopping, <laughs> that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, it's weird where, you know, one develops one's aptitudes. Hey, Gradia, you know how, like, at the end of a lot of the levels in the first Super Mario Brothers, there was this, like, triangular like, set of stairs, basically, uh, that you would ascend, and then you jump off the top of it, and you try to get as far up the flagpole as possible to get 5,000 points or whatever. Could, could you ever, like, just skip up and over that and jump right at the edge you know, holding down the B button for speed, so you're running. Could you have, could you ever do it so far that you actually went completely over the top of the flagpole, and you could actually watch your guy get like sucked back over it? Um, once it took away your control, it would like sort of whip you back to the left side of it. It was weird looking. I have seen Please. that once. One of my buddies I did that once. I remember, but didn't get very, very far. I I was usually afraid of getting past so I would always pull back and and fall on, on top of the ball. Yeah, it's funny because it wouldn't allow you. It's like once you actually crossed uh, crossed over it horizontally, it would take away your control and it would smoothly like just whip you back over it. It was weird. And that's when that's when you know you're reaching the threshold of like uh, beyond human. <laughs> yeah, when the game actually has to say whoa there, whoa there. <laughs> but equally good design on Nintendo's part, you know, because I mean so, you know, think about the issue with Commander Keen again, right? They didn't fully anticipate that players would actually find a way to bypass the Vorticon Commander without dropping the block on his head. Um, or, I mean, they must have done a little bit. They must have thought that someone might attempt that because they did give an out. You know, there was a way to get to the exit door if you just took a run at him and then jumped over him at the last second. But equally, the game makes it possible to do that, but then make the game non-passable, right? So interesting that Nintendo, you know, thought, oh, well, you know, we're going to build this staircase. We're going to put this flag here. So of course, players are going to try and figure out a way to jump over the flag. What are we going to do if they do that? Yeah, they probably had when they were developing Super Mario Brothers, they probably had like the one intern whose job was just, he was probably, you know, autistic or something. And his only job was just to sit there and play Super Mario Brothers and, you know, just be like, be better than a tool assisted speed run, you know? Yep. The, he caught that. Mush, the <laughs> mushroom pit stages, the ones where there were, when you, where you were standing over giant mushrooms, there are some in, on which there's a, a kind of balancing platforms. There are, there's a pair of balancing platforms with some kind of chain and, and when you step on on one, the other it goes down, and the other one races. Oh, okay. And that there's a, there are several stages where the last the last part is one of those balancing platforms, and so you can get the the right platform so high that you can go past the the finished pole. So that's uh, and that's very easy to do. So I guess that's one of the places where they found out the the player could go past the pole. Yeah, and then it's just a question of well, that won't work. <laughs> so, um, oh, another one. So the kids were trying Commander Keen Four today. They've been playing Keen One, Two, and Three, but they wanted to give Keen 4 a try. And of course, it's a very different game from Keen 1, 2, and 3. I mean, similar in a lot of respects, but, you know, the controls are rather different. Um, or, or the handling, I guess, more more than the controls. The controls are largely the same, but the handling, the way Keen moves, the physics, 
they're a little bit different. And so they were trying to get used to that. But that reminded me. You can grab from ledges. (laughs) Yes. Yes. They were really kind of surprised to see that. But Ella kind of quickly grasped that and made some good use of it in a few levels. But that reminded me of something that I always used to do is um, once I'd passed it, of course, then it's just like, well, all right, I want to keep playing this, but what can I do now? And what I would usually do, or what I would do for a while, rather, is I would fire up the cheat codes and I would activate the fly cheat and I'd give myself um, like infinite ammo, right? And then basically what I would do is I would just... Because the other thing that they did, in addition to the ledge hanging, is they added look up and look down. And not only look up and look down, but shoot up and shoot down, right? You know, if Commander Keen jumps, you can push the down arrow and push the trigger, uh, spacebar, and he'll shoot down. He'll shoot to the floor. Um, So what I would do is I would jump, and of course I've got the fly cheat on, so as long as I'm holding the jump key, I fly. And then I would basically just aim down and carpet bomb the level. Just like spray the entire ground with stunner blasts. Um, That's a pretty cool trick. Yeah, I don't know why, but it was just kind of fun. And then afterwards, fly back to the start of the level and just walk through and look at all the unconscious monsters. Now, that didn't work on everything because like there were the... uh, There were the flying pests. The bugs, yes. And uh, it was always fun to try and coax those to land and then squash them with the pogo stick. But uh, the only way to kill them. <laughs> yep. Hey, at least they could be killed. Those bouncing mushrooms can't do anything about those. Um, I did. Hey, jelly bear. Okay. I, I, I was impressed when I killed the jumping stone. I remember those. Oh, I hate those things. Actually, what I liked to do with those was make them jump into like pits, especially if there was like, you know, um, like a pit down that just like if you fell into it, you'd die. Um, you know, quote, bottomless, unquote. I loved making them like just jump and fall and they were gone. <laughs> but yeah, those things are a pain in the butt. Yeah, you can do that in gold. When they jump and in a- when they jump and they were upside down, you could shoot them. You could yes. jump and shoot down and you would stun them. Yeah, that was the only way to take them out because... Obviously, if you were looking at them, they wouldn't do anything, you know. And then when you were looking away, they would try and sneak up on you and jump at you. And then, yeah, you'd have to, like, jump up and blast down and hope for the best. Um, Also, if you were... The one time I did get one, um, I had walked into a shallow pit and it jumped into the pit, so I was able to shoot up. But, yeah, those things were a pain in the butt. I hated those. Mind you, that game also gave us the dope fish, so there is that. What's the dope fish? That sounds that's strangely a, familiar. That's <laughs> a fish with uh, buck teeth and stupid face. You wouldn't be able to kill him. You would just have to swim away. Yep. The dope fish's brain process is simply thus. Swim, swim, hungry. Swim, swim, hungry. Hang on. I'm going to Google that one. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> The Dopefish has become like one of the bizarrely iconic uh, monsters of gaming history. And I don't even know why. Because he's only in like a couple of levels, if that. He's in one for sure, and he might only be in that one for all I know. And yet, for whatever reason, 
but yeah, like the way it would work. And I mean, I just sent you some search links there. So you can see there's one image hit that's his animation frames. Basically, he swims around back and forth and then he opens wide to take a bite and then he takes a bite and then he turns towards the camera and burps. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at it now. It almost looks like uh, the fish version of Mater from Cars. Yes, very <laughs> like that. Uh, I almost Larry, think that Mater the cable is the, fish. Yeah, yeah. Mater is like <laughs> the dope fish. Who, whoever designed Mater clearly was a dope fish fan. But yeah, I don't know why. But what's interesting, and if you scroll down, you'll see like the dope fish. Like I say, it's become weirdly iconic, and it pops up in other games, mostly id software games. But still, like it just it pops up in. Uh, different things deus ex quake that kind of thing another yeah, I was thing gonna ask, oh. oh go ahead go ahead man it's cool. no, no 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 go right ahead oh, i was just gonna ask uh gently bear because he's been uh quiet so far quiet. if he had any uh stories or anything to add i think my favorite one was when i first got a ultima 4 back in was it 1986 yeah about you that. go through the you go through the loading screen and everything and you reach the moon gate and it tells you, you read the book of history and then you press a button and it says, no, really you read the book of history. I sat there for about an hour going through the history of Britannia, trying to figure out what I had to press next to move on in the game. Oh, geez. <laughs> Take it. literally. It turned out all I had to do was press a button. Whenever I try to play a modern game, I feel very much the same way. I'm like, you know, what the hell do I have to do to actually get into the game? I don't want to create an account. I don't want to read the tutorial. I don't want to do this. It's like, damn it, just let me play for a minute, and then, then I rage quit. There's a uh, there's a very popular Skyrim mod, actually, that lets you basically skip the intro sequence. Can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but basically it just lets you create a character and start in, like, a little dungeon just off of where, or a little cave just off of where you would normally emerge from the intro sequence for the game. So it should be named just keep pressing start. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, another one, another dumb kid thing that we used to do, because of course who actually, you know, who, when they're 10 actually plays Ultima to pass it. Well, maybe some people do. We didn't, we didn't actually play Ultima to pass it in any meaningful sense. Um, I can remember running around in Ultima 6, and we handled this differently. So in Ultima 6, me and each of my sisters, we kind of each had like our favorite building, right? Depending on what, you know, depending on who, depending on what um, we were doing, we kind of had different buildings that we liked. And so what we would inevitably do is we would make that the Avatar's house. Um, I used to call it my detache because i also played wizardry seven and stole that term from there but anyways and it was just you know you'd take over a house sometimes you'd do away with the owner um and you couldn't sleep in the beds so that was kind of a downer but still like you know we'd move stuff in and we'd kind of redecorate and um just we'd the avatar would have a house in trinsic or minnick or wherever um and then in ultima seven with the hack mover, that kind of took on crazy significance. Um, and again, different buildings. Um, I remember 
my sisters trying their mightiest to clean up and fortify that castle uh, in the deep forest where you meet the wisps, um, which of course took a great deal of effort to actually clean up because there was just rubbish everywhere. Um, the one house that I liked moving into was, I believe, the um, at the observatory, you know, because it's kind of got a whole bunch of glass work and it's kind of a really interesting concept for the house. Um, I seem to recall that that was where I liked moving into moving. And of course you could sleep in beds. So, you know, setting up an apartment for the avatar and, uh, making sure that it was always liberally stocked with food and libations. Of course, this meant wandering around Britannia, taking literally everything that wasn't nailed down back to the house. But, (laughs) um, and then, you know, eventually it's like, oh yeah, I should probably like play the story maybe, but my house is so nice. Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of that for me as far as playing the actual story. I was just having way too much fun screwing around with the world, as detailed as it was. Yep. Um, running around with horses, trying to force Belem to, to mount a horse. That was the best. Oh, Ultima 7. Cheat code thing. But one thing I really enjoyed in Ultima 7 was um, forcing random people to be in my party. <laughs> because that was one of the things you could do with the cheat codes is you could say, okay, this person is now actually like this NPC is actually now in my party. Um, and, but it's interesting because Ultima seven really didn't like when you did that. Um, that was like one of the surefire ways for me to make the game crash was like to try and add a bunch of NPCs who weren't normally partyable into the party and then try and wander around with them and give them equipment. And then the game would just kind of say, I don't know what you're doing, but. That would be cool. I didn't even know about this till just now. Could, could you put like Batlin in your party? Like anyone? I had Lord British for a while. I never tried with Batlin, you know? So I don't think you can kill him. No, you can't happen. kill him. But be a good party member if he can die. Well, to um, Serpent Isle, it's not possible because Batlin uses a, a special enemy NPC number or something like that, Mm. which is recycled. But it probably might, well, it would probably be possible in Ultima 7 though, because he is just a regular NPC in the world. You know, he's so elusive in Serpentile that yeah, they can just make him a enemy type because all you ever are going to do is fight him anyways. Actually, you really don't even fight him. He just kind of shows up and says some stuff, and then the Guardian kills him. But, spoiler alert, if you can spoil a game that's was released in the early 90s. But anyways, <laughs> but I would imagine in Ultima 7 you can probably do that. Because I think, too, there was a cheat, uh, another thing in the cheat menu was there was like a flag you could enable so that you would see the NPC numbers of everybody around you so then you could go you you could enable that flag figure out okay you are npc whatever then you could go back into the cheat menu turn that off again and say okay npc 13 is now in my party you could uh, get all the gargoyles to join your party and then just go through britannia killing everyone say <laughs> <laughs> the avatar has switched teams there you go there you go ah uh. Trying to think, what are some other dumb things I did? I always wanted to do that on Ultima Six with the gargoyles. Have a gargoyle in the party, and, and since I I had the I had some the notion that they could 
they were wielding two-handed swords, and at the same time, they were wielding a bow and shooting arrows. <laughs> yeah, I was confusing my ultimates there, yeah. wasn't I? Six and seven. Damn it. <laughs> well, it's not like the gargoyles aren't in Ultima 7, but, you know, in theory, there's peaceable relations between them and the rest of Britannia. Although, I mean, within the context of the story, like, there is some they've kind of been ghettoized a little bit, right? So there's some resentment there. So, I mean, it would, it, it, you could kind of make it work. There was something else I used to do too. What was it? Maybe that wasn't in Ultima. Uh, in, Ultima in Ultima, on Serpent Isle, there's a vibrate spell. And I remember activating the cheat codes and casting vibrate spell on on guards, the guards on monitor, uh, <laughs> monitor town, and they would and they would drop all their equipment. They had multiple armors and other stuff duplicated. Yeah, they were a, a great source of stuff gear. I mean, yeah, I remember having fun casting vibrate and having them drop everything they had then pick it up. I remember doing something similar with the guards of Trinzic in Ultima 6. Of course, it didn't involve a vibrate spell. It involved cannons. But, you know, the result was mostly the same. They carried stuff. And in Ultima 3, you see there's a moon gate near just, just right by Exodus Castle. And there's always a slim chance to get a pirate ship there so i i actually spent time getting to the moon gate there and if there wasn't any pirate ship i would go back and one of the moon gates uh, that moon gate that certain moon face takes you to a, i think it's a dungeon entrance so i would enter the dungeon exit and then get into the moon gate again back into exodus castle and see if there was a pirate ship. And I actually managed to do that. I finished the game without the mark of the snake and without the silver horn. Wow. That's rather impressive because those are kind of important elements of the story. Sorry, Jellybear, I cut you off there. Oh, I said the same thing you did. I said, that's impressive. <laughs> yeah, that's... Integrity, uh... we need a YouTube video of that. You need to do that again. It's uh, it's a matter of luck because it's very hard to do. I spent several hours, and even my brother helped me a little bit because we were spending so much time. And I gave I handed the controller to him for a while while I was doing other stuff, and then came back because it was just not the it, it involved too much luck. Yeah, there's there's certainly a you can't really predict any random encounter. So yeah, I mean, if you're relying on a random encounter for what you're trying to do, it's kind of difficult. Um, oh, that reminds me too of something Sergon was talking about. Um, because this is now something I really want to fire up Ultima 6 and attempt. Um, there was a discussion on, I believe on Discord, regarding, on the UDIC Discord, regarding the... Um, the changing shape of Britannia, you know, like, because you could go to the edge of the map in like, say, Ultima one through five, and you would just 
boop, appear on the other edge of the map, right? You go out the west end and you come in the east end. And Sergon was saying that this actually didn't change in Ultima 6. I mean, in Ultima 6, it looks like it changed because you can't sail to the edge of the map anymore. There's actually, um, you hit the edge of the world and there's actually the ethereal yeah. void there. The ethereal void. And I tried to go with the vol- balloon and, and I got to another map, but it wasn't the same. I think it was maybe the Gargoyle world or something because I saw several mountains, but it wasn't the... It wasn't Britannia's map, if I recall. Oh, that would be even cooler. If you could like fly out into the void and then get taken to the other side of the world. That would actually be really cool. But then I wonder what would happen if you flew out the edge of the Gargoyle realm. Hmm. Yeah, and those are vague memories. I don't I don't really remember if I if I flew away from Britannia to the Gargoyle map. Or if I was already in the Gargoyle map and tried to fly away and maybe I was expecting to get into Britannia or something. I don't remember. I don't recall correctly. I have to experiment with this. Yeah, I I remember the conversation. It might have been on Facebook. But in in any case, I I think what they were saying is if you use the balloon, it actually did uh, keep you in Britannia and would wrap around to the other side and... And the, the argument was, you know, talking about the shape of the world, is it a Taurus and all of that, um, was, okay, if if technically in the Ultima 6 engine it would, it in fact did wrap around, why, why would they have prevented you from doing that? Why would they have put the ethereal void there in the first place if it was, you know, the engine was technically capable of allowing it to wrap like the previous games? Yeah, uh, I, I don't. There's not an answer for that that I know of. But it, yeah, it's freaking weird. Experimentation warranted. At any rate, that would be cool if it wrapped you around to the gargoyle realm. I would enjoy that if they did that. But it's also weird to me that you know we're having this discussion, and on the one hand, it seems like the most obvious thing. It's like, of, of course, why wouldn't I fly the balloon out into the ethereal void? And yet, that honestly had never occurred to me to try and do. Well, I did. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Maybe it's because the balloon is such a pain in the butt, unless you have the magic fan, you know, to to control wind direction with. Because, of course, the balloon is entirely beholden to the wind direction. It can only go in whatever direction the wind is blowing. Yeah, I never even got the uh, the balloon in Ultima 6. Again, too busy screwing around, but I remember the, uh, the magic carpet in, what was it, 7 was cool, and I think, I think they might have had the magic carpet in Ultima 5. Did, yes. did they not? Yes, they did. Yeah, so that was cool. I, uh, well, we've discussed some of the hijinks uh, with the magic carpet repeatedly on previous episodes. Actually, here's another one. Stepping away from Ultima for a minute, another dumb thing. Um, I can't really say that this was a particularly kid thing. This was more from computer engineering. But since we were talking about Compi just before the episode, it kind of reminded me. Um, did I ever tell you what we did with Duck Hunt? I don't think so. Okay. Good game, though. Yeah, Duck Hunt. Great game. Um, but so. The way the gun worked, I mean, it's a light gun, basically, right? You know, all right. Well, room full of computer engineers having a particularly terrible round of duck hunt. Our aim is just off. You know, we're just like, oh, this is just, we're not on today at all. I can see where this is going and I like it. Someone grabs a magnifying glass. Now the light gun is a shotgun. 
This is the cool, <laughs> coolest exploit I have ever heard of, <laughs> ever. Because the I mean, magnifying glass spreads the light beam out, right? <laughs> yes. So now we just have to vaguely aim at the television, and you're just getting duck after duck. It was, it was the best. <laughs> but the thing was, it it had. We found that it worked better with a, a bit of a. I mean, you can get different sizes of magnifying glass. We had a big one, and it worked all right. But then someone found like a little pocket-sized one that was only slightly larger than the aperture of the light gun itself. And that seemed to work really, really well. Because, of course, it's focusing almost all of the light back down the barrel of the gun. So, you know, really, really easy to basically have the entire television now coming into the... Oh, it was great. The question is, I mean... um is there an in-game scenario, you know, or is it more like it just gets faster and faster and faster and all of that, like a lot of the older games didn't I, have a proper ending? Well, you know what? We would have been not the ones to research that because this was something that we would fire up and play for 10 minutes between classes. So, in fact, as I recall, the person who... trying to recall. Oh, what? I'm trying to recall. I think we... We were trying to figure out some weird stuff with Duck Hunt game, where if we aimed at the center of the screen, we were just shooting and killing the duck very easily. Maybe it was because the TV was very small. Hmm. Well, I guess if it's... Yeah, maybe we were just too far away from the TV, and, and it was too small, and the gun would catch all the TV screen. <laughs> yeah from what i understand there's 99 levels and uh if you're playing um if you're playing the the duck game at any rate there's 99 levels um i think this is i'm just trying to remember so there was game right game a was one duck at a time game b was two ducks at a time and I mean, the, the, the magnifying glass was great for game B because you could, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> um, game A goes from, I think, up to level 99. And then I think there's like a special level zero that's just past that. But the thing about level zero is, I guess, it, my memory is really fuzzy about this, but I think what happens is that Everything is just really erratic. Um, targets like they they might not even appear at all sometimes. The ducks might not even appear sometimes. And if they do, they behave like just bizarrely. Um, so I think it's like that uh, that unplayable level of Pac-Man. You know, it's kind of like, well, here's the next level, but this is basically just going to be a crapshoot. So. Yeah, yeah. Donkey Kong and... Uh pac-man both had screens like that with pac-man like the right side of the screen was like gibberish like it was actually trying to read level data from some sort of buffer filled with like arbitrary information so it was scrambled characters you and um, so far in this game that you have actually walked out of the memory space <laughs> sort of yeah yeah it's like they never expected that to happen they never even tested it and then in uh in donkey kong in the uh, arcade version they called it the kill screen and it would let you play for a few seconds and then Mario would just die. Like, he wouldn't even touch anything. He would just die. Crazy. So it was all about getting the high score. There was no way to, you know, finish the game. Right. Um, the, 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 honestly, the most amusing anecdote I remember from that was the guy who actually came up with the exploit the first time we were playing it. We'd played 
for about five more minutes past that. And then all of a sudden he kind of sets everything down very abruptly on the desk and runs out of the room. And all he says is something about an exam of some kind. It was midterm week. Oh, well, that was, uh, that was how that ended. But yeah, that was duck hunt with a magnifying glass. Turn your light gun into a shotgun. Because why would you hunt ducks with a pistol anyways? Really? Seriously? <laughs> Just to prove how much skill you really have. I, I suppose. And uh, I think the hardest mode was the mode C, the clay pigeons. Oh, yes. Which is what funny. I remember about the... Oh, no, go, Jelly Bear. Oh. What I remember about the high levels of duck hunt were the ducks would barely come above the grass and then shoot off the side of the screen. Yeah, and they were wicked fast. Yep. Yeah, I remember that. Too. I remember getting drowned. I think it was round 50 or something. Yeah. I mean, like at that point, I think using the magnifying glass was the only way to even keep playing at that point because, like, you had almost no chance of hitting the ducks otherwise. Well, the good news is, in the face of all this uh, speculation and spotty memory, is uh, I actually just ordered recently on eBay. Uh, I have a working, my original NES is working. I tested it. Played Ooh. some Ninja Gaiden recently. Yeah, I got I got a few nice CRT televisions laying around. So I just ordered uh, Super Mario Brothers slash Duck Hunt off of eBay. It should be here in a few days. Now, I did not order a light gun, which shows how much of a fool I am. But uh, af- after this conversation, I sure as hell am going to order one. <laughs> and I'm going to do some experiments. Uh, I ha- One of my cousins has an, has an NES and the CRT and the Duck Hunt King and the light gun. Uh, the other yeah. day, well, I was talking to him about the about the Duck Hunt release on the Wii U with the emulator, and how I had found the 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 add-on for turning the Wii remote into a light gun, and and he, uh, I was showing him the game, and he got excited, and he said he would he would. Uh, take out his NES because he had the original the original game. <laughs> nice. Actually, um Ah, oh, right. At um we got together with some of like with my wife's sister and her husband and a bunch of people. Oh, that's right. It was gift opening. Um part of the part of the involved Christmas traditions that her family has is, you know, they do the big Christmas Eve dinner, but then the next morning they all convene for gift opening. And I mean, this is a really good time. We have a blast every year. So we were over at her sister's house. And, um, of course, you know, like there was, we weren't just there to open presents. There was brunch and there was snacks and it was, it was a good time. But as I was wandering through the kitchen, I looked up on top of the microwave and there was a light gun. There was, there was a Nintendo light gun just, you know, with the cord coiled up around it and just sitting on top of the microwave. And I like stop, do a double take, double check to make sure I'm seeing what I'm seeing. And then I pull it down. And it was hilarious because at that point, every male in the house was there. I'm just like, oh my gosh, is that an original light gun? Like, what is, where is this from? I have so many memories. On top of the microwave, no less. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it turns out that my brother-in-law had been, uh, had like picked it up fairly recently, I guess, because he's kind of gearing up to get back into some original NES gaming. But it was, it was hilarious. Just then of course, afterwards, my wife's just like, wow, that was like literally like, she's like, I come from a place where 
guys gather around like the open hood of a truck. That was really weird. <laughs> it's the uh, it's the nerd equivalent, you know. Pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> so, yeah, that yeah. Was I actually have a I actually have a few stories, unless somebody else wants to have some stories. No, go right ahead. I'm gonna go in chronological order here. There was a, a game called Major League Baseball for the Intellivision, uh, which was a fantastic game, but an absolutely terrible baseball simulation. And um, it was so terrible that my brother, who I played it with, who actually played baseball, unlike me, he loved sports. He was actually good at them. Um, so, of course, he's assuming just emotionally invested in the idea that even though it's a video game, it should still play like baseball. Well, the relationship between my brother and I, as far as playing video games together, was anything but innocent. You know, it was more, I don't know, sociopathic, uh, a bit sadistic. Um, so in this, I actually took advantage of that. And I would just start throwing the ball around once he got on base, tempting him to steal. Because in any real baseball game, if the players, if the defense actually started, you know, throwing the ball around the way I was doing it, the runner would just go. You know, like, right. what are they doing? go and he would steal the base so i would actually start trying to tempt him you know throw the ball to a guy start moving the guy just far enough away that if it was a real game they would he would have easily been able to steal and i would entice him to steal and then use the game's uh, inaccurate mechanics in order to get him out and just send him into a rage so <laughs> yeah it was, it was much fun had doing that sort of thing um Another thing, I, I like trying to turn like cooperative games um, into deathmatch games if their mechanics in even the slightest way supported it. So in Contra, you know, it had horizontally scrolling stages, um, then it had the faux 3D stages, but it also had vertically scrolling stages. And the important thing about these is if you went out of the bottom of the screen as, it, as the screen scrolling up, uh, if either of the two players playing cooperatively simultaneously, if one of them uh, went out of the, the clipping range for the bottom of the screen, they would just immediately die. So you're jumping vertically, you know, up these platforms. So I would intentionally just start trying to jump as fast as I could, taking the optimal route uh, to go as fast as I could up the screen. And it would be a race. And if you got to the bottom of the screen, if you lost the race that bad, you would be killed. So that was, that was tons of fun. Um, Joust for the NES you could actually play cooperatively. And, uh, you know, with Joust, you're on these ostriches, uh, like knights riding ostriches with, you know, lances, of course. What else would you be doing in a game called Joust? But uh, if you hit the other person head on and you were like one pixel above them, you would actually kill them. So instead of actually trying to beat the game, I would just try to kill my brother in Joust. Um, tons of fun. And uh, Double Dragon, which uh, was not two-player cooperative on NES, the first Double Dragon, although it did have an actual versus mode, which was cool. Um, we would take turns playing, and when he was playing, I would actually ad-lib lyrics to the music singing. And the lyrics would be all about how he was going to die, how he was going to miss the jump, how he was going to be beaten by the enemies and sort of uh, commit psychological warfare against him as he was attempting to play the game. And that was tons of fun, and it made him super mad. And of course, when he eventually died, whether or not it was actually my fault, he would blame me, uh, which is awesome, because that's exactly what I wanted. And uh, <laughs> Nicely done. Yeah. 
And then the last one, when we would play uh, Street Fighter 2 for Super Nintendo, um, a great strategy that I loved employing was actually talking so much smack that his mind would get completely out of the game and he would begin making critical mistakes that would result in my victory. Jeez. <laughs> so that, yeah, me and my brother had an interesting relationship with respect to video games, but good times, even though he did actually kick my ass once, like actually kick my ass once. Well, but, you know, I deserve, I deserved it, so it's all good. <laughs> nice, nicely done. You know, this isn't related. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Gurdia. Yeah, I was commenting the. Um, I remember how I we played Super Mario Three, and uh, my little brother was uh, had very slow reactions. So he he would always complain that that the A button was not responding properly. Uh, but we had very high quality controllers. They were NES Max. And the the contacts were in perfect state. Uh, I made sure to clean them up the first time, and he was always complaining that. And I, I so I started observing him when he was playing, and I noticed he he would complain that it didn't jump. He didn't jump. The button is not working. So I would look at him closer and notice that he was pressing the button after he was falling. <laughs> and that was funny. So one day for his birthday, I bought him a Game Genie. And one of the, the first codes I put on him for him to play Super Mario 3 was one called multiple jumps. And what does multiple jump do? It allows you to jump even if you already jumped or even if there is no ground to stand on. You can jump at any time. Normal jumps, but at any time. Nice. So he started playing and then he fell to the pit and jumped on the middle of the pit right before he would he would go out of the screen <laughs> and, and I told him, do you see, dumbass? You're just too slow. It's not the button. It's not the controller. And he he did he just paused the game and just stared at me with <laughs> some sort of mixed feelings of shame and hate. <laughs> Dude, I thought I thought I was an evil son of a bitch. All right, Gradia takes the record. Congratulations, you win. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's horrible, and awesome, but horrible. And what and what is he doing now? Is is he homeless now and mentally ill somewhere? You don't know what you haven't talked to him in ten years. <laughs> He's a, a constructions engineer. Oh, really? Yeah, he he works on construction things like uh, streets, bridges, uh, structures, that kind of stuff. Hopefully, none that you'll be driving over, right? <laughs> yeah, hopefully not. Yeah, well, that, that's not it's not so bad. He he would always uh, I made fun of him with Super Mario Three, but he would always beat me on Tecmo Baseball. And he would uh, he would uh, hit home run every time, and he, every time he would he would hit a home run, he would just dance and make fun of me until the 
until all the home run sequence was over. So it was kind of a mutual, uh, I don't know, how do you call it? Uh, say he would make fun of me at the games he was good at, and I was I would make fun of him in the games he was bad at. Jeez. Yeah, that's cool. That's that's an interesting thing about having a brother, particularly. I, I don't know the age differences between you and your brother, but uh, for me, it's like less than a year. Um, so you know, you're pretty much equal, different people, but you're equal with respect to you know your gaming skill in one way or another, and it's it's an awesome rivalry. You know, it, it's a lot of fun. I wouldn't, I wouldn't take it back for anything. Yeah, he's just uh, two years younger than me. Okay, yeah, that's all right. That's pretty good. Well, I'm going to kind of move us on to other news because I do have to start winding this down, and I have a complaint. I have a gripe before I actually get into what I want to talk about for other news. Yes, I've been trying to find a damn 3ds anywhere in this bloody city. And I can't. They are sold out damn near everywhere. A regular 3DS? Well, it's a new 3DS XL. They have been wiped right out. The guys I was talking to at Best Buyer, they have the demo unit, and they're just like, yeah, we haven't had them on the shelf for a couple of months. I don't know what that's all about. So, much frustrate. Yeah, that's pretty weird. Um, it is. I'm, I'm genuinely baffled. But, whatever. Have you looked online? Going. Yeah, have you looked online to see if it, there are any on there that aren't insanely jacked up you know oh, sure like if i want to pay a hundred bucks more sure i'll i'll go yeah. online but <laughs> so it's more more or less a, a, a canadian slash u.s perhaps global shortage like nintendo just screwed up maybe i don't know i there's a couple of places i haven't checked yet but frustrating for the moment but not really what i wanted to talk about although it is related to nintendo because i suppose you know we'd be remiss if we didn't at least mention the nintendo switch a little bit since it went for pre-order uh yesterday we're recording this on saturday and i believe it was friday that it opened up for pre-order might have been thursday though either way um it's already not available for pre-order anymore pretty much everywhere um i think within the matter of a few hours there was nowhere around here that i could pre-order it for example not that i was going to um but you know like just the reports from some of my coworkers and other people i know is that yeah the basically not available anymore so interesting looking unit i'm still kind of toying with whether i should go with it or the 3ds um but anyways it did come out for pre-order and was promptly all snapped up i mean i'm sure there's more coming but certainly this first round has now all been allocated the uh the fullest of confirmed games is pretty darn good i have to admit there's it's an interesting mix of stuff. Like there's Fire Emblem Warriors coming, um, Has Been Heroes, which is kind of an interesting looking one. Minecraft is coming to the Switch. And also a new Super Bomberman or Super Bomberman R. I'm sorry, I don't know if that's actually new. Um, the Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild. There's a Lego one, Minecraft Story Mode. Skyrim has actually been confirmed for the Switch. And um, of particular excitement to, well, less me. I mean, I enjoyed the other games in the series, but uh, I had a friend who was a huge Siberia fan, and Siberia 3 is uh, evidently coming to the Switch. Dragon Ball Xenoverse, Ultra, Street Fighter 2. Street Fighter 2? What? I know, right? Okay, all right. Um, there's a game called 1-2 Switch, which, among other things, includes virtual cow milking. So there you go. 
Um, Sonic 2017 and Sonic Mania, Rayman Legends, Super Mario Odyssey, Ukulele has been confirmed, I guess, for the Switch. Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, um, Dragon Quest 10 and 11, and Dragon Quest Heroes 1 and 2. I Am Setsuna has been confirmed for it as well. Square Enix has uh, evidently confirmed I Am Setsuna. And then there's actually also um, Shin Megami Tensei is coming to the Switch as well. And evidently it's being made with uh, Unreal Engine 4. So that's kind of a crazy bit of uh, development. Now, it's worth noting that the... uh, So the Switch, I think, ships with 32 gigabytes of onboard storage by default. And I believe it's expandable, but 32 is the default. And it's worth noting that The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild evidently consumes 13.4 gigabytes of that. So basically about half your storage, you know, once you factor in that the OS is going to eat up um, some of that 32 as well. So (laughs) evidently you're going to have to pipeline your gaming a little bit if you want to take in Breath of the Wild because, oh my gosh, that's uh, quite the big download relative to the amount of space you have. But yeah, that's weird. I'd like to know quickly, uh, everyone here, like, what what was the last Zelda game you played um, that you liked? And what do you think about uh, the new one from what you've seen? Well, I mean, I've just started dabbling with Skyward Sword, and it's been pretty darn good. But I have to admit, I'm ludicrously excited, excited by everything I've seen in Breath of the Wild. You know, Zelda's never been on my radar before now, really. But just seeing what they're trying to do, and especially the art style, sort of a combination of the fact that, you know, they have this, it's an open world game, it's an open world RPG, it um, looks to just have absolutely wonderful mechanics, from what I gather, a lot of throwbacks to the original, which is good too, in my mind, even though I'm not particularly familiar with the original, I do like when any series does that, and the art style just blows me away every time I see it, so... Yeah, I'm withholding judgment so far, but it, it seems to me, and I know there have been so many games in between, you know, the classic Zelda games and uh, and, the, and the newer ones, but uh, it almost seems semi-antithetical to the core concept of Zelda in a way. Um, not that it's not a good game, but as far as it just being a Zelda game, it almost seems like the Zelda series has gotten progressively farther away in some ways um, from the core ideas behind it. So it looks like a great game, but it, you know, when, when Zelda starts to look like Skyrim, it bothers me a little bit. I'll just leave it at that. Maybe that's one of the reasons why comes to my house and tries to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's one of the reasons they went with the art style they did, right? Because it's very much more cell shaded, and so I mean, like it's open world, which Skyrim also is. But at least from an art perspective, you'd never mistake the two. I don't know if mechanically that would bear out, but at least from an artistic perspective. They're they're very distinct. Yeah, just as reminded me of uh, Skyward Sword. Yeah. So, I uh, I have been enjoying what little bit I've played of Skyward Sword. So there's that. But uh, have to get more into it. Definitely. So it's hard because of course my kids monopolize the Wii, and I hate um, popping the Mario disc out because of course I can never be sure if they've saved their progress or not. But uh, maybe so, I should just um, get in the habit of always throwing on a quick save and then popping the disc out. I don't know. Um, based on your perusal of the list of announced games, um, there's nothing in there about Metroid. Hang on, looking again. 
So I'll tell you what. I don't know if Nintendo's present, done. No. Romance of okay. the Three Kingdoms 13. My goodness. Uh, People have been complaining mostly about Metroid, the last games, because uh, yeah. the Samus uh, Aran lost the, I don't know, the the badass personality she had in previous games. She all of a sudden is not a uh, an actual bounty hunter, but uh, some kind of subordinate and, and doesn't have the strong personality that she showed on previous games. And that's, uh, that's shown. I've, I've heard that it was shown on uh, some manga and other things. And then it showed up on Metroid other M, but there was, uh, it was shown previously on other games. Huh. Yeah, they need to do away with the, the personality development and cutscenes for Samus Aran. I mean, she's a badass. She's most like the character from Doom, where you just don't say anything. You know, your gun speaks for you. That's pretty much it. Hmm. To be fair, it's also worth noting that just because there hasn't been a Metroid game announced yet. Yeah, I, I've heard that she was turned from from a badass girl into a waifu. <laughs> I can what, see that being need, disappointing for fans of some of the games. What, what they need to do, especially with the whole retro thing blowing up, you know, everybody's about the retro games now. They need to come out with, you know, Metroid 3 or, you know, whatever, um, and have it like Super Metroid. You know, use a, a next-gen system, use uh, the Switch to make a game that basically plays like Super Metroid which is hailed universally by, by players and developers as being one of the you know, best-made games of all time. Um, make something like that with a little bit better technology and see how that flies. The same can be said for Castlevania, but you know, Metroid's sorely lacking after it went to completely over-the-shoulder you know, third-person perspective. Fair enough. It has already been done for Castlevania, the... Mirror of Fate series and the Lords of Shadows. Fair enough. The only thing I don't like about those series is the way they change the history. How they make uh, Gabriel Belmont the, into Dracula and they make everything family. Uh, Gabriel Belmont is Dracula. Uh, Trevor Belmont is Alucard and then comes... Simon Belmont as the hunter. Uh, I really didn't like that story. Yeah, I guess they ran out of uh, centuries, you know, to keep things canonical. You know, Dracula comes back every 100 years, etc. They ran out. <laughs> All right. Well, I think I'm going to call it because I do have a couple of things to take care of uh, before the end of the night. But... It is worth mentioning, I think, just before I launch into the final preamble, that Unknown Realm, let's see, Unknown Realm's Kickstarter ends on, I believe, Thursday the 19th, and hopefully this show will air before then, and if it does, if you're listening to this before Thursday, January 19th, go to the show notes and find the link for the Unknown Realm's Kickstarter and consider throwing a little bit in the pot there. It's an awesome-looking retro game. It's being made for the Commodore 64. There's also a PC, Mac, and Linux releases planned. Or, well, I think Linux is a stretch goal. But um, at any rate, awesome little piece of retro gaming. 
definitely worth your support. Please go and back it. Because Stirring Dragon is a real friend of the podcast, and we think you would do him an incredible solid to to back his game, because it looks awesome. And on that note, if you like Spam 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 Humbug, please um, do consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Ultima Codex. Uh, a dollar a month is all it takes to get access to our episodes the day before they go live. And if you want to chip in another dollar on top of that, you will, once I get on top of my backlog of these things, get access to the preamble audio for each episode. But I am about four behind on that and I apologize. If the monthly subscription thing isn't your thing, you can also um, buy your video games at GOG. And if you visit our show notes or podcast.ultimacodex.com or just ultimacodex.com beforehand and you look for the link or the sidebar banner to GOG, um, you hit that first, you go about your business there, you don't pay a cent more, but we get a bit of commission. All of that, of course, goes towards paying hosting fees and Podbean fees and all that good stuff and keeps everything running and the lights on. And we like that. Hopefully you like that too. We do also welcome your moral support though. You can like Ultima on Facebook and follow at Ultima Codex on Twitter. Um, Now, if you want to join the Ultima community, your gateway to doing that is UDIC.org. That's where you can register your very own dragon name. And uh, what did we... Oh, we actually determined that there was not a flap dragon. And to the best of my knowledge, there is still not a Fahogo God's dragon. Just point that out uh, for uh, Deathblade's sake. Um, You can also find the Ultima Dragons on Facebook. There's another group on Google+. You can follow at Ultima Dragons on Twitter. Um, There's an unused or very underused Slack channel. And there's a rather more active Discord server with many, many channels. Uh, you'll find links for both of those in the show notes. And then finally, of course, there's also the Wearmount, the unofficial second home of the Ultima Dragons. You'll need a Telnet client for that one, but might be worth a look. Finally, you can send us feedback. You can send us email, ultimacodex at gmail.com. You can join us on our own Discord server. There'll be a link in the show notes. And finally, you can leave us a voice message. Again, link in the show notes or go to podcast.ultimacodex.com and look for the leave a message link in the sidebar. You can record up to 90 seconds of audio in your browser window. All right. Well, big thanks to everyone. Big thanks to Gradia and to Boolean and especially to Jellybear for joining us for the first time and <laughs> listening along. And um, until next time, thank you everyone for listening and be virtuous. Virtuous.